0: Uh, how many of you like riddles? Can I see your hands? Yeah. Oh, that's they, you're nice. The first service, none of the hands went up. They all hated me. They hated that I even brought up a riddle. Okay, here it goes. A riddle. Um, we save it, we spend it, we waste it. We never have enough. It flies, and it slips through our fingers, and it runs out. What is it? Time. Yeah. Pretty easy. Now. Time is something that we orient our lives around. You know, we, uh, we set times to get up. We expect to get paid at certain times. Uh, ladies, you know, have babies. They expect at nine months the baby. Goes, Wouldn't it be amazing if you got pregnant and you just never knew? Might be nine months, might be nine years. <laughs> you just never knew. How many know there would be a lot less of us around? <laughs> but we, we depend on time. We orient our life around time. Uh, At the same time as saying that, we rarely have a sense that there's much rhyme or reason or purpose or plan to the time that we exist in. And if you ever try to define time, by the way, if you want to get a headache, just go home and try to write up a definition for time. It's pretty difficult. The closest you can come is something like, you know, the experience of existing on a continuum or something like that. But uh, rarely do we have much of a sense that we're living with a certain plan or purpose or reason or order being carried out a timetable and most people feel like life is rather random and time is rather random but if you read the scripture if you read what god says in his word it's quite the contrary ecclesiastes 3 1 you know it says there's a time for everything and every season under heaven god has a definite timetable and when we come to this season of the year christmas Uh, Although we should reflexively think about God's timetable, it's pretty rare that we do, but we do understand that there was this uh, amazing intervention where Christ, the creator of the universe himself, intervenes into our world, uh, lives approximately 33 years, and the planet has still been reacting to it ever since. But rarely do we think in terms of uh, God having a timetable. Now, where I want to take you today is this. When you read the biblical story of Christmas... And uh, I'm just going to assume that most of us are somewhat familiar with it. It's in the first couple chapters of Matthew, first couple chapters of Luke. You have certain people that are kind of key players in the whole story. And I have this little box, a little list of them. Uh, you meet like Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they have this awareness that the time has come... When the long-promised Messiah, the Christ, that's what that word means... Is about to appear. Joseph and Mary, of course, they have a direct revelation from an angel that this is so, that the time is there, that the Christ is going to appear. Then you have people like Simeon and Anna, That they just kind of hang out at the temple all the time. They're elderly people, they're, they're spiritual people, and God has revealed to them that this is the time. The time's going to be refilled, fulfilled when the Christ, the Messiah, is finally going to come. Then you have the Magi, these interesting people that. Perhaps come from the area of Babylon or Persia, who would have had access probably to a book that we're going to look at in a minute, the book of Daniel, and who might have, because of that, known that it was not just the star guiding them, but something else guiding them as well. But they come looking for this intervention of this mysterious figure called the the Christ or the Messiah. We find that the religious experts of Jesus' day, they were aware, they were were giving information to Herod about where he was going to be born, Bethlehem, Michael 5, 2 says, and so on. But here's the thing. Why was it that at this time there appeared to be this buzz in Jerusalem? Why were they suddenly seeming to think that it's its Going to finally happen. I mean, Israel had been a nation for 1450 years. You know, they've been expecting the Messiah. They had all these little fragmentary prophecies, predictions, portraitures of what the Messiah was going to look like, how he was going to live, the miracles that he was going to do, where he was going to um, you know, be raised, and all these kinds of things. But but nobody seemed to know when he was going to appear. But then this generation, at Jesus Day, they all seemed to be aware. They seemed to have an expectancy. They they seem to have known something that other generations didn't have clarity on and what i want to show you today this is going to be the most unusual christmas message you have ever heard i guarantee in any church anywhere in fact it might be the most unusual message you've ever heard in any church anywhere it might also be the most substantive and important message you've ever heard in any church anywhere but i want to show you where i believe they had the understanding that the time had arrived the specific time had arrived according to god's unstoppable timetable that the messiah the christ was going to intervene in human history and it all comes from this one book of the bible in the old testament called daniel now i'm going to turn you to a portion of scripture it'll all be up here and it's daniel chapter 9 and we're just going to look at three verses 24 through 27 they are a little bit complicated but by the end of this session you're, you're going to be an expert in them you'll be able to explain them to anybody huh, for sure you can you will you will you will um, all right I'll, I'll pause this we go and do a little explanation but it starts out this way so here's Daniel let me give you a little context Daniel was living at a time where the Babylonian captivity was coming to an end God had continuously warned his people that if they continued to misrepresent him by their disobedience he would finally allow another nation Babylon in specific to take them over for 70 years Uh, they never, you know, realigned their life with God's word and will, and so he allowed the Babylonians to come. Well, when you come to the book of Daniel, that 70 years is coming to an end when you come to this prophecy. It's about 539 B.C., and three years after this, a man named Cyrus, who Isaiah had predicted by name in Isaiah 44 and 45, uh, 175 years before it happened, Cyrus was going to release the Israelites just like the Bible predicted, and they would go back to their land. So that's that's the background and the timing. So Daniel is in uh, captivity in Babylon. Uh, the media Persians had taken over the empire at this point. And God gives him this amazing revelation of everything that's going to transpire right down to the end of the age. So you've got to keep that in mind. Here we go. And it's all gonna it's all gonna form around seventy weeks of years. Seventy sevens. Somebody somebody good at math. What's what's seven times seventy? 490, right? 490. A 490-year 490 period. God's going to sum, sum up everything. Okay, here we go. 70 weeks are decreed about your people, that's the people of Israel, your city, that's Jerusalem, always has been, to bring, now look at this, six things that are going to happen in, in the 70 weeks. And, and these are weeks of years. We, just so you know that I'm not making this stuff up, we have a precedent of it in, in Genesis chapter 29, where... Uh, Jacob has to work a bridal week of seven years for his bride Rachel we have Pharaoh in Genesis 41 having a prophetic dream where he sees seven fat cows and seven lean cows and seven uh, fat stalks of corn and seven lean ones and the sevens in each case represented seven years was the revelation seven years of famine seven years of plenty so this weeks of years is something that the Bible had already built up all right 70 weeks that's weeks of years 490 years are decreed about your people, that's Israel, your holy city, that's Jerusalem, six things, to bring the rebellion to an end, that's mankind's rebellion, to an end, to put a stop to what? Think about this. Man's inhumanity to man will finally be brought to a stop. That means the people the people that are still going to be around at that point are going to come to their own willful conclusion. This is insanity. We're not living this way anymore. We can't live this way anymore. Bring it into rebellion to put a stop to sin, to wipe away iniquity, to bring in what? Everlasting righteousness. Every human being always doing the right thing all the time because we understand that's the only way that life can ever work. Bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy. That means to complete all the vision, all the prophecy, everything that God's revealed to us about you know, what he, His plans and purposes are to the end of the age. This is going to end it. These 70 weeks, is going to seal it up. It's going to complete it. And to anoint the most, what? Anytime you see stuff like that, holy place, that's talking about the temple to anoint the temple, to to reestablish the temple as a truly holy place. The book of Ezekiel, the last eight chapters of Ezekiel, give detailed description of how God himself, through the Messiah, through Christ, will rebuild the Jewish temple in a a pristine state that will last forever and ever. Anyway, so here's what's going to happen in this 490-week period. It's going to make more sense to you in a minute. It goes on. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild jerusalem until who messiah that's the christ messiah the christ the prince will be seven weeks and how many okay mathematics seven and 62 equals what somebody 69 but we're dealing with weeks right of, of of years so we know that the whole 70 is 490 years, so 62 plus 7 would be 483 years. So we're dealing with a 483-year period. Now, you've got to mark this down in your minds, but it starts. It starts at a definite time, the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That was given by that guy Cyrus I mentioned earlier, 536 B.C. It uh, is, is when the first decree went on, but it, it really gets into 457, and I'll, I'll bring that to you in just a minute. So until the Messiah. So this is, this is telling the exact time that the Messiah, the Christ, would appear on earth. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. Why did the people like Elizabeth and Zechariah and you know, Anna and Simeon, why did they expect the Messiah? Because they knew this prophecy, I believe. It tells exactly when the Christ was going to come to earth. So from the time that they issued the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will be 7 weeks and 62 weeks or 69 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat. That's, that's the city. But in difficult times. Now, it was 457 B.C. You can read about this decree in Ezra 7, 7, and 8 and Ezra 9 and 9. That's where the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given. Now, if you go 483 years from that time frame right there... You come to about 26 or 27 A.D. Guess what was happening at 26 or 27 A.D.? The ministry of Jesus was just starting. His three and a half year ministry where empowered by the Spirit of God, he starts his ministry of miracles and revealing the heart and the truth about God and the truth about life. It starts right then. Well, that says the Messiah would show up at that exact time. Why were the people expecting him? Because the prophecy specifically said when he would come. This is why, folks, listen listen carefully. This is why Jesus... And Jesus only could possibly be the Messiah or the Christ. Him alone. It gets more detailed as it goes on. 26. After those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be what? It's talking about his death. We know that after three and a half years of ministry, Jesus was killed. So first it puts the Messiah 483 years from the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It puts him on the earth. Then it puts him to death after that period of time and will have nothing, the people of the coming prince will destroy what? And what else? That's the temple once again, the temple in Israel that Solomon had built. So after the Messiah is killed, it says someone comes, some prince is coming. His people are going to destroy the city of Jerusalem and destroy the temple. Folks, that was fulfilled In 70 A.D., a Roman general named Titus came into Jerusalem. He destroyed Jerusalem, tore it down, crucified about 100,000 Jews, destroyed the temple, burned it to the ground. And listen to this. Israel as a nation ceased to exist in 70 A.D. It was gone. It would be as though somebody conquered the United States and then we ceased to exist as a nation. So that all happened. That all took place. But look at the time frame. Jesus The five days before he went to the cross, he took his disciples to the temple. He had them looking around at the temple. He says, you see how magnificent everything is? He says, let me tell you something. Not one stone is going to be left standing here. It's all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be torn down. And sure enough, just like Jesus said, just like Daniel said, within 35 years of Jesus saying that in Matthew 24... It was all torn down now to a jew you got to understand something this meant something when their city was destroyed and when their temple was destroyed the jews knew from their old testament covenant their old testament agreement with god this meant that they were no longer aligning themselves with god sufficiently so that he could reveal himself to them and reveal himself accurately through them to the rest of the world Because they were misrepresenting God, he took away that privilege of representing him away from them, and he gave it to a new entity that Jesus called his body or the church. That's his followers now. Now it's our job to accurately reveal the truth about God and the truth about life to the world. The Jews should know, every Jew, and this message is not meant to be uh, disrespectful to any Jews or anything like that, but every Jew alive should know since 70 A.D., they didn't receive their Messiah and they have been disconnected from the purposes of God ever since because their temple is gone. It's been gone since 70 AD. Their city was gone and it is up until recently. We'll talk about that in just a bit. But here's this remarkable prophecy. It told exactly when Jesus, the Messiah, would be on earth. It said he would die, and it said that after he would die, the city of Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. All of that took place right within the generation of Jesus, which is why Jesus and Jesus only could possibly be the Messiah. By the way, the rabbis at that time, they had four specific miracles that they thought only the Messiah could do. One was the healing of a leper. Jesus did that on two different occasions. One was the healing of someone born blind. Jesus did that. One was to cast out a demon that was mute or causing the person it inhabited to be mute because they believed you had to get the demon to talk and tell you its name before you could cast it out. Jesus did that. The fourth miracle that was unique to the uh, Messiah was to be Raising someone from the dead after they had been dead for over three days. Jesus did that on the fourth day with Lazarus. So he fulfilled all all these, these things that they knew. So they knew, they knew who he was. All right, let's go on. This changes now dramatically. So we go from the Messiah to some new entity. He will make a firm covenant with many for how long? now remember we've had the 69 weeks we had, we had the uh, 483 years but we have seven years have not been fulfilled yet so now there appears to be this leap ahead in the time he, whoever this he is will make a firm covenant with many for a week that's seven years but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to what? sacrifice and offering but wait a minute we just read, we just read that the temple was going to be destroyed how can there be sacrifice and offering? Listen, it goes on further. Not only is it going to stop the sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the what? But we just read the temple was going to be destroyed. Now the temple's back. It's going to be on the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Well, this is a really interesting thing. This appears to be some sort of a gap. You have the Messiah appearing at right on the time that he said we'd be here. We have his death. We have the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, just like Daniel prophesied. But now, since 70 AD, no temple. And all of a sudden, we have in this passage another week, the final week of the 70 weeks starts up, but there is a temple. Well, what's happened? What's going on? There appears to be a gap this precedent of a gap being in prophecies it's it's all through the scripture one, one of the popular scriptures for this time of year um, it has a prophecy in it although we just think of it like a christmas card how many have ever seen isaiah 9 6 on a christmas card you know and they shall call him a uh, wonderful counselor prince of peace the everlasting father the mighty god and upon his shoulders shall be the government for everlasting everlasting yeah i've never seen something like that uh, isaiah 9 you You got a christmas card there's two big gaps in that On the one hand, it says he's going to be called the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, but then it says, and upon his shoulders shall be the government to Everlasting. Well, Jesus was the one that came who was the Almighty, the Everlasting, the Prince of Peace, but we haven't seen the government on his shoulders. There's been a gap of nearly 2,000 years. Daniel's prophecy shows that gap. It stops at the destruction of Jerusalem, and then it picks back up at some undeterminate time when there is a temple once again in Jerusalem. Now I want to ask you a question. Is there a Jewish temple in Jerusalem right now? Is there a rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem right now? Anybody, anybody happen to know? There is not. There is not. There has been no temple since 70 AD. But there's something more that we should consider. So here's this amazing prophecy that shows the credibility and the validity of the Bible compared to any other religious, so-called religious writing on the planet. Uh, By the way, every other religious writing on the planet, they have at best vague what they call predictive prophecy, whereas the Bible, one-third of it, is specific uh, predictive prophecy where you can verify it because it talks about specific people, places, events. It can be checked. It can be archaeologically verified and so forth. The Bible alone does that. We've seen this one. to pass except for that last year that last year it's a little bit off now let me show you a little graphic that hopefully will make sense of this a little bit more so daniel's whole 490 years are divided like this seven sevens he says that's during a troublesome time the city of jerusalem will be rebuilt then he adds 62 more sevens the 434 comes to 483 he says then the messiah will show up and then the messiah will die okay then we have this last mysterious seven where some other entity, some prince that's going to come, is going to you know, be defiling the temple, a rebuilt temple, and that hasn't happened. That, that last seven years hasn't occurred. So this, this principle of prophecies being kind of like two mountain peaks, you can see from one mountain peak to the other, but you can't see the long valley in between, that's all through Scripture. That, that's not an unusual thing at all. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Here's Israel's history. Uh, God brought the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage through Moses and they became a nation around 450 B.C. They existed as a nation until 70 A.D., like I said, about 30, 35 years after Jesus' death, the temple was destroyed and they ceased to exist as a nation. No more nation Israel, no more capital Jerusalem, no more temple from 70 A.D. But now this gets interesting. 1948 may 14 1948 out of nowhere israel is reborn as a nation after adolf hitler had tried to exterminate every jew on the planet killed six million jews against all odds they are reborn as a nation now why is that interesting well in the book of ezekiel chapter 36 37 38 and 39 it says repeatedly that in the last days At the time just before a second intervention of God, Jesus coming at Christmas, we want to call it Christmas, was the first intervention. Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39 says, In the last days, just prior to the second intervention, Israel will be taken back from all over the nations they've been scattered and brought back into their land and reborn again as a nation. After 1878 years of non-existence, May 14th 1948 that prophecy was fulfilled and we've lived to see it not only that the scripture predicted that they would regain their capital Jerusalem June 27th 1967 they regained Jerusalem and just this year the United States recognized Jerusalem as their capital very significant very significant so here's the thing I'm getting at those Jews like Anna and Simeon and Um, the magi and you know Joseph and Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and others of that generation that were expecting the intervention of God in Christ in the Messiah they they were so fortunate to be the chosen generation how many of you would have loved to have been alive to see Jesus to hear Jesus to watch him do the miracles the numerous miracles that he did (coughs) excuse me how many of you would have loved to have been alive at that time can I see your hands I mean, some of you probably think, man, I, I, I wouldn't have any questions at all. I, my, my trust in Jesus would be so much bigger and better if I could have been there and I could have seen some of these things my own eyes. But the truth is, most of human history, things just cranked on seeming rather random. It didn't seem like God was involved. It didn't seem like he had an unstoppable timetable that he was working out. It's only those few that happen to be alive at those interventionary generations that should have a sense that they have been given this extraordinary privilege. So, let me take this now to Jesus' own words in Matthew 24. Here's Jesus, five days before he goes to the cross. He's at the temple. He wants his followers to understand what's about to happen. He says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of by the prophet who? Daniel, we just read it. Standing in the holy place, that's the temple, what does he say let the reader understand what did jesus mean he's saying you got to understand daniel what daniel has said or you're not going to understand what i'm saying daniel says in verse 926 or 927 the abomination of desolation will be in the holy place rebuilt temple he says the same thing again in chapter 11 verse 31 he says the same thing again in chapter 12 verse 11 daniel repeats it three times jesus points to it he says, there's going to come a time, now Jesus is at the temple, he's told his disciples the temple's going to be destroyed, and then he says this, when you, see, when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken about Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, he goes on. For at that time, when this rebuilt Jewish temple has this abominable entity standing upon it, at that time there will be great tribulation the kind that 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 hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were limited, no one would, what is the word? Survive. Survive. But those days will be limited because of the elect. That word elect... It means those that have been reconciled to God. They're not better than anybody else. They're not sin-free. They are just individuals that have come back to trust in God and follow His will and His ways because they really trust Him. Jesus revealed the truth about God, particularly in His sacrificial death on the cross. He showed us that the Almighty God loves us with a sacrificial love and that we can trust Him entirely. And the whole purpose of His life, His death, and His resurrection was to win back the trust of humanity so that he could save us from ourselves from our sins remember how this, the early Christmas story went Matthew chapter 121 the angel says to Joseph he says and you will call the babe when he's born you will call the baby Jesus for he shall save his people from there you finish it sins yes from their sins it didn't say he'd forgive their sins save us from listen we need to be saved from our sin because sin is self-destructive living it's living discordant with our design we think that it's the spice of life it's not the spice of life it's a kiss of death and so God comes to win back our trust to save us from destroying ourselves. but here Jesus says when this temple issue occurs and this abominable entity is there he says that's that's the time when life is going to be harder than it's ever been on this planet now daniel talks about the specific time in daniel chapter 12 if you read it and he gives the exact number of days he says when the abomination of desolation takes place there's going to be exactly 1290 days and he says but man if you can survive until the 1335 days you're going to love life because evidently that's the time when the messiah rebuilds the temple and restores earth to its pristine garden you know edenic like garden garden condition so Jesus is saying this marks the last three and a half years before God's timetable requires yet another intervention. We call that intervention the the second intervention of Christ or the second coming of Christ. So we've explored the profundity of this prophecy. Now I want to just turn the corner a bit and talk about how we can experience the power because God doesn't reveal this stuff to us just to fill our heads with knowledge he reveals it to us so that it can affect us emotionally and mentally and govern the way that we live our lives so let's look at a couple new testament verses in the book of titus in the new testament the apostle paul writing to one of his uh, confederates that was working in a church he says that the believers there were awaiting and confidently expecting The fulfillment, notice it's predicted in advance. We're just waiting for the fulfillment. It's a sure thing. We're just waiting for it to happen. The fulfillment of our blessed hope and the glorious, what? The glorious, what? Appearing, just like Jesus appeared one time, he promises he will appear physically a second time. The appearing of our great God and Savior, who? Notice he's called God. And he saves us when we trust in him and we turn from our sinful, self-destructive living and we trust in Him and become His followers. He becomes our shepherd. We become His sheep. So we're waiting for this con- confidently. We're, we're expecting its fulfillment. We, we are meant to be affected by it now. It's to give us confidence and boldness and anticipation. Look at another verse. 2 Tim- Timothy uh, 4.1, it says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday God has a timetable. That day is marked. He will someday judge the living and the dead. When is this going to happen? When he, what is the word? When he comes, the second intervention of God to set up his kingdom. Just like Daniel said, you know, after that abomination of desolation, then the 1335 1335 days, life becomes what it was always meant to be. One more with you. In the book of, He. uh, excuse me, uh, two more, this one and then one after it. Acts 17, 31, it says, For he has what? Set a day. God has a timetable. There was a timetable for Jesus to come the first time. He revealed it in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. So he's got a set timetable when he will return again. He has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by what? Raising him from the dead. That's Jesus. That's Jesus alone. One last one from the new testament book of hebrews Christ was sacrificed once once to do what take away sins is taking away sins the same as forgiving sins no Do you know what it means to take away sins? It means that God convinces me. I trust him. He wins my trust, and he convinces me. Randy, sin is killing you, man. It's destroying you. It is poison to the internal machinery. Trust me. Follow me. You'll find the way of life. That's how he takes away sin. He convinces me. He convinces us. He wins our trust, and we actually live that way. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of humanity... And after that, he will appear a what? Second time, the second intervention. This time, he will not deal with sin, but he will save those who what? Eagerly Eagerly wait. Why would they be eagerly waiting for him? Why was that first generation eagerly, some of the people were eagerly waiting? Because they knew the scriptures. They knew the predictions. They knew the predictive prophecy of the Bible. Well, why will there be a generation that's eagerly awaiting? How will they know? Well, think of some of the things that we've covered already in here. We know that the scripture said that the city would be destroyed, the temple would be destroyed, and it was, just like Jesus said, just like Daniel said. We know that the city and the nation has been reborn after 1878 years of non-existence. It is in existence now. The capital is there. There's one thing and one thing only missing. It's the temple. The temple has not been rebuilt. But let me tell you what is happening in Israel. They've got the architectural plans for the temple, the real architectural plans. They have been training the priesthood to do the required sacrifices at the temple. They have rebuilt all the furnishings that need to go into the temple. They have already made all the clothing that the specific priesthood would wear. They are ready to go. But there's some things that have to happen first. So here's my point if we know that israel is in existence again after 1878 years and if we know that they've recaptured jerusalem and we know that they have people there that are eager these are jews that don't even believe the christian bible and they are eager to rebuild that temple shouldn't we know like that first generation waiting jesus the messiah from daniel's prophecy shouldn't we know that the second great intervention of god is right at the very door Let me show you something amazing about the prophecies of the Bible that sets it apart from everything. Predictive prophecies in in the Messiah. There's about 300 messianic prophecies. There are Old Testament small fragmentary pictures of what the Messiah would be like, where he would live, the miracles he would do, and so forth. I'm going to give you just 11 really, really quickly that Jesus could not have tried to cooperate in fulfilling himself. They were beyond his control. Here we have these. Here's the references to it. So if you're interested, by the way, you can pick up a handout of this in the lobby. I forgot to tell the first service that. Um, it predicted in Michael 5-2 he'd be born in Bethlehem you can't control where you're born it predicted in Isaiah 43 he would be preceded by one that would announce his coming that was John the Baptist it said that in Isaiah 9-1-2 he would grow up in Nazareth you can't, can't control where you're going to grow up it said in Psalm 118-22 uh, that he would be rejected by his own people Isaiah 52 uh, and 53 it says that he would be horribly beaten to the point that you couldn't recognize him it goes on says in psalm 22 16 1, years before crucifixion existed it said that his hands and his feet would be pierced psalm 22 7 and 8 said he'd be mocked by men as you know they gathered around his cross they would cast dice for his clothes the roman soldiers did that at jesus crucifixion said that he would be punished with the wicked in isaiah 53 2 there was a thief on each side of him when he was crucified but he was buried it says in scripture in isaiah 52 would be buried in the tomb of a rich man Joseph of Arimathea a rich man come came and claimed the body of Jesus and put Jesus in that rich man's tomb in his own tomb and then of course it said in, in Psalm sixteen ten that he would be raised from the dead and we know of course that that's exactly what happened so here's 11 prophecies that were out of Jesus control that were all fulfilled Now, now here's the thing what do you think would be the statistical probability of just eight of these prophecies coming to pass say Randy I don't know anything about statistical probabilities I'm I'm not sure about that well let me show you what it would be here's what it would be the chances of just eight being fulfilled would be 10 to the 17th power that's what it would look like it's 10 followed by that many zeros you're like "Eh, I I don't know numbers Randy that doesn't mean much all right all right let me me make it where we can all get a get a real sense of this Uh, the state of Maryland the state of Maryland is 12,407 square miles. Not very big. Maryland's not a very big state. You can drive across from the widest point four hours. Texas, on the other hand, is 268,597 square miles. It's really big. You can stick 21 and a half Maryland's in Texas. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bury Texas two feet deep. All of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars okay we're going to fly you around in a helicopter and we're going to give you one silver dollar it's going to be you know painted whatever choice color you want and we're going to blindfold you as you're flying around in the helicopter and I'm going to I'm driving the helicopter so you're safe (laughs) and I'm just waiting for you to say okay stop it here Randy I want to throw out my silver dollar here and so I don't know where we're stopping you don't know where we're stopping you're blindfolded you throw your silver dollar out But we don't stop there. Now we bring in some machinery, and we mix all the silver dollars up. On the whole state of Texas, we mix them all up. Then you tell me, Randy, I want you to stop here and let me down, and I'm going to reach into the pile of silver dollars to just the exact depth that I want to, and I'm going to pluck out that silver dollar that I covered, that I colored. Now, that's what it means, 10 to the 17th power. That's what your chances are. That's the chances of just eight of these predictions coming to pass in one man. But some say there's as many as 300 messianic prophecies that all, all were fulfilled in Jesus. So here's what I'm trying to say. As we celebrate this Christmas, I want you to think about it in a way that I'm sure probably most of you have never thought about it before in your life. This was specifically predicted in advance by God. It was part of his timetable. He told us exactly when Jesus would be on earth. He told us what was going to happen to Jerusalem and the temple. He told us when to start expecting him a second time. Israel's a nation again. They have Jerusalem. People are preparing to build, rebuild the temple. Let me go further. That same book of Ezekiel that I mentioned earlier, in the 38th chapter, it gives an alignment of nations that are going to attack a restored Israel. It says in the last days, the last days before God's intervention a second time. Guess who the first one is on the list of nations? Persia, Iran, modern-day Iran. Every nation that's named in that list of nations in Ancient Ezekiel 38, they're every one Islamic nations. All the, I could go on for days on this. Some of you know that I have in our Bible institutes and things. I've taught on this extensively. I could show you the geopolitical situation that we have now specifically, specifically fulfills these ancient prophecies for the first time ever in human history. And we of all people, without being fanatical at all, should be eagerly anticipating, excited about the fact that we have been the chosen generation just like that first century bunch of people were the chosen generation to receive the intervention of the messiah the christ the first time you are the chosen generation to be alive and recipients of the intervention of god the last great intervention the one that's going to restore sanity the one that's going to finally bring peace on earth and goodwill to men The one that's going to finally end the heartbreak and the tragedy and the chaos. You have been chosen to be part of that generation. And we should have such confidence and such excitement and such anticipation and willingness to try to share this degree, share this truth to the degree that we are capable of doing it. That's my real hope in giving you this message. I I hope a couple things. I hope you have so much confidence in your, your Bible that you will know this is a unique book on this planet. So much confidence in your God that has a timetable. Life is not random. It's not chaotic. It's not just out of control. Not at all. If you live in between the gaps, it feels out of control. But when you live in one of the interventionary times, you should have a sense that God is at work and he is at work. So I hope your trust in Christ, your faith in him, your devotion to be obedient to him, your devotion to serve him and to share his truth and his love with as many people in your circle of influence as you can. I, I hope... This message will inspire you and uh, just give you great encouragement to do that very thing this Christmas. So I thank you for your patience with what I know is a very, very unusual Christmas message. And um, I'd like you to just take a moment and pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are the God of truth, that you have given us a blueprint to know the things that you have planned and purpose and that nothing can foil nothing can thwart nothing can stop Um, we are so extraordinarily grateful that we have been given the calling the privilege to be living at one of these interventionary periods in your timetable so we pray that you'll give us great strength great encouragement and great joy as we anticipate that we might live to see with our own eyes your second coming Lord Jesus it's in your name I pray amen